Welcome to RVR's Life After Camp podcast. Learn about the camp and retreat ministries of RVR at rivervalleyranch.com. Enjoy. I'm not crying. You're crying. <laughs> you know what the worst thing in the world is? No, not really. Having to preach after that. That, that is just so beautiful. I, I can't tell you how happy that makes my heart, um, how well that, that we just saw a beautiful preaching of the gospel, of the power of redemption, of, of our brokenness encountering his beauty, the way that only Jesus can do this. We've been talking about that throughout this weekend, how artistic God is in his expression of restoration, that he is up to something, and it begins inside of each of us, and it overflows out of us into this world. And I think this is just so awesome. My hope, my prayer is that this weekend you have a chance to encounter uh, God in a real and authentic way. And we've been walking through... Um, John's gospel, we're going to skip over chapter 3 because you know that already. And I want to read you just really briefly, and this is a long a long passage, and I'm going to just work through this quickly because I think you might know the story, but um, I'll tell some and I'll read some. And this is in the fourth chapter of John, and I think this is so great because this passage is a really good canvas for the way redemption works, for the way that God seeks us out. Um, I think sometimes we believe uh, this idea that we're on a search for God. I've had people tell me that before. They say things like, well, Justin, it seems like you have this relationship with God, but that just, that works for you, but, but it doesn't really work for me. And what they mean is like, they'll even say this, they'll say like, I just haven't found it yet. And uh, I think it's easy to believe that, that each of us is on a search for God and we're reaching to heaven and we're trying to connect. But I think ultimately what's much more true is that God is reaching for us and searching for us and drawing close to us. Uh, there's this really famous painting on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, and I think it was by uh, one of the Ninja Turtles. Um, and it, it shows this, this beautiful, uh, you know, honestly, it's like this multi-focused work of art. And right in the middle of this thing, and... Um, on, on weekends, I take my private jet and go off into Italy, so I've seen it a few times. Um, you can't take pictures of it, though. I don't understand why you don't believe that story. Anyway, okay, but there's this picture, and you've got God, and he's like all muscly, kind of like me. And um, why are you laughing at that? You guys laugh at all the wrong times, and you don't laugh at the right times. I'm starting to think you don't like me, but... He, God's reaching and he's all like flexing and, and stretching and it's like he can't possibly reach anymore. And then there's like this, this guy and I think he's supposed to be Adam, but I, you know, Adam just means human. I mean, literally the, the name Adam means dude in Hebrew. Look it up. Uh, and he's just sort of sitting there like kind of nonchalant, like he has this sort of like meh thing going on. I don't think meh is a Hebrew word, but that's what he looks like. And it's like if he could just, there's, there's like a centimeter gap between the two. And if he could just straighten his finger, he would connect with God. If he could just do something, if he could just respond. 
And that's what I believe. What I believe is that God has closed the gap, that God has done all the work. He's done all the reaching. He's done all the redeeming. He's, he's, he's erased all of the distance between you and him, and he is exactly as far away from you as you hold him. He wants to be near. He longs to be near. He wants to be found. He's not hiding from you. God wants to, to be close to you because he delights in you. He thinks you're awesome. He thinks you're the best. He can't wait to get to work, even on the messy spots of your life. And we see this here. What happens is, in the fourth chapter of John, is that Jesus is traveling from one place to another place. And the easy road goes through this place that good Jewish people didn't go through, the more direct route. Most of the time, good Jews would take a much longer road to stay away from this part of town because in that, in that area, Samaritans hung out. And there's a long-standing issue of racial enmity between the Jews and the Samaritans, and they look down on one another, and, and there's prejudice, and it's just not a very good situation. But Jesus is different. Jesus goes to places you wouldn't expect Jesus to go, and Jesus seeks out people that you wouldn't expect Jesus to seek out. And I'm convinced that if Jesus walked our streets today, that, that you, would, you would find him in the most unlikely places, and he wouldn't spend very much time in many of our churches. And this is what Jesus does. He is a revolutionary. He defies everybody. He leads his disciples right here. And so he, he's going through Samaria, and he came to this town in Samaria called Sychar, and it was near this plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And there's a well there, a very famous well, Jacob's well. And if it's Jacob's well, it's got to be famous. And Jesus was there, and he was tired from his journey, so he sat down. And the well's a little bit like Starbucks in the ancient world. It's a gathering place. You guys gather at Panera or Starbucks. Is there a Chick-fil-A in your town? If there's a Chick-fil-A in your town, why would you ever go to Starbucks, right? I mean, Starbucks doesn't even serve chicken. I don't understand. There's nothing good about Starbucks coffee. When you grow up, you'll learn. Anyway, no, I'm just, I'm just I won't patronize you about that. Because you know what you actually drink at Starbucks? You don't actually drink coffee because you don't. What you drink is like Tazo Berry Smoothie Frappe Ninos. And you have to speak a foreign language to order them. You're like, I want a medium. And they're like, I'm sorry, sir. Did you mean Starbuckian, Grandamachian? <laughs> and you're like, I just want the, the cup, the one that's not the big one and not the small one, the one right in the middle. And they're like, I, we call that a tall. <laughs> that makes no sense to me. I don't know. But here we go. Okay. Jesus is hanging out by the well. People gather by the well. That's what they do. A Samaritan woman came to draw water. And here, this is a problem because the ancient world was not only kind of racist, but it was also kind of sexist. And they had all these rules about women and they weren't really people yet. And, and see, Jesus is different. Jesus has this revolutionary idea, this God-shaped idea, this thing that the women are people too. And even Samaritans are people, and they're all people, all people created in the image of God, that male and female, they were created to reflect the very essence of their creator, that you can find something out about God you can't find anywhere else but in the eyes and the face and the story of your neighbor, that you see God in him and her, and she sees God reflected back to him or her in you, and Jesus knows and so he begins to talk with this woman, and they're going to have this kind of coy conversation on the surface level. You ever have that where you like never can get quite past the surface? It's like every single date you've ever been on. Just surfacey, surfacey, surfacey stuff. They're talking about this thing on the surface. And then underneath, they call this a subtext. That's an SAT word. You're welcome. 
I don't do very good on that because most of my scholarship is in ancient languages. And so like SAT words are hard because English is difficult. But anyway, here we go. Uh, the Samaritan woman came to draw water and Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? And I always think it's funny when Jesus asks you for something because he doesn't really need anything from you but, but surrender. That's all he really needs from you. So anytime he asks you for anything else, what he really wants is surrender. Just permission. That's what he's looking for. So he's, he says, will you give me a drink? His disciples went to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said, you're a Jew. And I'm a Samaritan. And if you can't tell, I'm a woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And then John gives a little parenthetical reference for all those of us thousands of years later that won't know why this is a problem. And he says, for Jews, don't associate with Samaritans. Thank you, John. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God, and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman says, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. I think that very often that is our soul's response to the invitation of God. You don't really know me. You don't really know my story. I don't know if you're capable to reach me. I don't think that's how this works. What are you going to draw with? This well is deep. I have problems, and the dysfunction in my life is deep. I've got problems you can't understand. People tell me things like that a lot. They, they have reasons why they're disqualified from a life of, of thriving faith. They have reasons why they're disqualified from a life of, of, of anchored significance. They have reasons why, well, this thing I did or this thing I struggle with or this thing I can't seem to shake and I just can't ever get it right and I've repented and I've repented and I've strived and I've tried and I've, I've worked and I've scratched and I've clawed and I've done all these things and I, I still can't shake it. I still can't break it. It still haunts me. It's still there. I still feel bound up. The well is deep, and how can you reach me? How can you help me? Are you willing to go that deep? Are you willing to get into my situation, to dive down into my mess? How deep will you go, Jesus? Because the, the help that I need is beyond my ability to do. I, I have a need that goes past my, my own means to fix it. You have a problem so big, you're positive you can't solve it because you've tried everything. If you could solve it, you would have solved it, but you can't solve it. So this is it. This is this tangled mess that we find ourselves in. We call it sin. It's the selfish choice to go our way and to follow our appetites and to do our own thing at, at whatever cost comes behind it. And we get stuck. We get marred in this and it, it fractures our story and it splinters out of us into the world around us and it hurts the people that we love and we care about and we don't want to do those things and we don't want to hurt those people but it does it happens and we're not sure why we did that but we did and it hurts them too she's being coy where are you going to get this living water are you greater than Jacob, our father, who gave us this well and drank from it himself and also did his livestock? I, I just, I don't even know why she's bringing up livestock. Is that just like a little insult? Like jab, jab, I don't know. Jesus says, whoever drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So she finally says, well, give me the water. And this is the point. See, Jesus can't let 
it stay on the surface. Jesus can't just let it go. He, he can't just say like, oh, let's talk about this stuff in code. Remember what Jesus needs is permission. What he needs is surrender. You can't fake it. Let me tell you one thing that Jesus will demand of you and it's authenticity. He needs you to own it. He needs you to say, yeah, okay, this is my true self. We are so good at hiding. We're so good at pretending. We're so good at faking it. And finally, you come to a point in your spiritual journey when you see your own self reflected back in the eyes of Jesus. And you will see in that moment two very powerful realities, an invitation to ownership and this undeniable, unexplainable grace. It doesn't make any sense when someone's seen me at my worst, when they see the real me, the one that I hide, the one that I keep hidden, the one that I try and, and, and shelter from the, the penetrating gaze of those around me, the one that I keep off of social media, and I have this carefully constructed persona with layers of impression management that keep me in the place that I want to be in their public perception, and to keep my reputation what I want it to be, and Jesus reflects back in perfect love the reality of who you are, and he says, own it. And I see that brokenness, and I choose to love you anyway. And that's about to happen for this woman. Here's how he does it. He dives deep on her. I mean, he is like, he, he's, he's deep. He goes deep. He says, uh, she's like, give me the water. And he says, okay, go call your husband and then come back. He knows exactly what's going on, and she knows it too. And in that moment, she sees both ownership and grace. And so this is what comes out of her mouth. And I'm, I'm telling you, this is a difficult thing. This is, her statement is a statement actually of repentance and acknowledgement. She's actually being authentic. When she says this, this is all she can muster. She's so caught off guard by the picture of herself reflected back in the eyes of Jesus, this is what she says. And I think she kind of mutters it, or breathes it out. I mean, it's a struggle, but she gets it there. And here's the cool thing about God. Remember what I said, he just needs that inch. He just, it's this much. And she says, I have no husband. Now, I know this isn't theologically correct, but I think that's a prayer of faith. That's it. That's when her life changed, right there, that moment. It's truth. Truth came out of her mouth. She stopped pretending. She let the walls down. She let Jesus near. He dove to the bottom of the deepest of trenches. He found her in the muck, in the mire. He reached deep, and, and, and I mean, it's deep. Her story is a little weird. Her story is not the kind of story that Disney princesses get, you know, act out. This is what he says. You're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands, and the man you have now is not your husband. What you've said is quite true. She's got a story. It's a hard story. No one ever grows up imagining that they're going to be on dude number six. Like you never talk to a little girl and you say, what? I had this conversation just this week with my own kids and we were talking at the kitchen table because my 10-year-old came home and said she wanted a boyfriend. <laughs> I know. I told her, your dad's your boyfriend. What's the problem with that? <laughs> Knock it off. You don't need anybody else. I'm, I have these muscles. <laughs> and she laughed at me and she said, dad, all I see is a big tummy. <laughs> fine, fine. 
We'll see what you get for Valentine's Day next year. Anyway, seriously, she's... My kids are mean. I told you that yesterday, but you didn't listen. But no, really though, she's like, I want a boyfriend. And we had this conversation and I said, well, what do you want? And we, I, I, what I'm trying to do is steer it away from a 10-year-old who's obsessing about relationship issues because she's 10. And in fourth grade, I don't know what kind of boyfriend she wants, but I'm imagining like an 18-year-old with a motorcycle and a, <laughs> like a mild underage drinking problem, okay? I'm like, that's, that's what goes through my head. I'm like, you don't need a boyfriend. Shut up. So this is, this is, this is what I did. This is a good dad move. I, this is from Jesus. I learned verbal jujitsu. And I said, I answered their, their inquiry with an inquiry. That's how I work. That's what you get when you get a seminary degree. I want a boyfriend. And I said, do you? I said, this is what I said. I said, what kind of boy would make a good boyfriend? See what I did there? Now we just talked till bedtime about all the qualities that my two daughters would, would like in their future boyfriend someday. I just punted the issue. Their mom will deal with it later. It's, it's her problem, <laughs> right? And we did this, and you know, you know what they never said to me, my little girls? They never said, I don't want one boyfriend. I want like 15 broken relationships that leave me thirsty and unsatisfied. They didn't say that. They had... They had a dream. No little girl has this dream. But this is your story. Your story is your story. It might not have been your dream. Already at your age, things might have happened to you that you shouldn't happen to anybody. And I'm sorry that they did happen to you. And I really am. Whether you did them or they were done to you, it's still your responsibility to deal with the aftermath of it in a gracious, loving, beautiful way. And the only antidote to deal with that thing is, is Jesus. It's it. If you're taking notes tonight, our dysfunction is deep, but his determination is deeper still. Our dysfunction is deep, but his determination is deeper still. He will not let her off the hook. He forces her to be authentic, and he dives deep with one goal, to restore and reclaim her heart. Um, I love pictures of the gospel that are a little different and I, I, um, my favorite hobby, like John Ziggs here at the ranch, is YouTube videos because I have children. And I, I saw this, and I, I, as I saw this, I thought, that is the gospel. And so I'm, I, here, this is a video that, that tells you the story of just how deep the love of Jesus will go to reclaim your heart. So watch this. So this woman who's obviously so desperately searching for something has found the answer in the eyes of Christ. She's found what it is her soul craves, what it is that she's been thirsting for all along. And he, 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 he tells her, they have this conversation about worship, true worship it happens here, it happens there, and they move on. And, and there comes a point where in that surrender, and this is how Jesus works, and it's just so remarkable. Jesus said, I have living water, and if you drink of it, you'll never thirst again. Moreover, it will become in you a spring of living water. Sometimes I think that like satisfaction, like a full cup is what we're after. And what, what, what Jesus actually has for us looks entirely different than that. It's not just a full cup. You know, when this, this famous passage, this famous verse in, in the 10th chapter of John where he says that the, the thief, and we saw it so beautifully displayed tonight in this drama, the thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life 
And then after that, John employs this beautiful Greek word, and it's, it's perisauce. And that, that, that's not something you put on your eggs. It's, it's something different than that. Perisauce, and it means abundant, excessive, overflowing. It means more than enough. It means something that will leave you with leftovers. It means excess. It means, it means life to the full, continuously overflowing. What Jesus has for you is not just to take a heart that's empty and fill it. He has for you to take a heart that is empty and longing and craving and, and messed up and broken, and he restores it to where it's something that's beautiful, and it's not just full, but it's continuously overflowing. And in this fourth chapter of John, that's how the story ends. This woman who came out of the city to this well in isolation because she was in exile, because she's avoiding because of her reputation the community of people that judge her and scorn her, she has found in the face of Jesus an invitation to be authentic and to own her story. And in that same face, she finds grace that transforms her brokenness into beauty and takes her ashes and makes them something like a masterpiece, a treasure. See, and that story gets rebooted, it gets rewritten, it gets a new chance, and she walks back into her village overflowing with hope, and she says this to them, come and see. Come and see something different, and they do. And how the story ends is that because of her story, they know her story. It's authentic. It's her story. She's in it. She's, she comes and she occupies it and she owns it and she preaches it and she overflows the beauty that's been poured into her. And that work of God, the restoration, the redemption flows out of her into the world around her. And many Samaritans in that town believe because of it. I don't know where you're at tonight. I don't know where you came this week. I don't know what condition your heart was when you arrived, but I do know that what fills your heart will lead your life. And the invitation before you is to allow the overflowing, abundant life of Christ to answer every longing of your heart. And what he needs from you is not something dramatic. It's not something big. There's no... Uh, there's no huge amount of willpower required. It's just a simple response of surrender. The God who loves you and seeks you, who longs to be near you, awaits your answer. Let's pray. Jesus, be near to us tonight. As these students go into small groups tonight, as they talk with their leaders, let them be authentic and real. Give them the courage to abandon pretense. Give them the courage to glimpse themselves through your eyes. Reclaim us. Restore us. Take the broken parts of us and make them beautiful again. Answer our problems with your potential. Answer our fear with your abundance our lack. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Life After Camp episode. Discover all of the year-round adventures at RVR and find out how you can support our ministry at rivervalleyranch.com. Thanks.